Hey, good morning, everybody. It's a morning coffee notes, uh, kind of Saturday evening morning coffee notes. Um, and, um, well, let's see. I'm getting ready to go to Boston later um, this, well, actually, this coming week. And um, let me get the sound level here a little bit better. Uh, and um, I've been writing a bunch of stuff. Uh, on scripting news to try to prepare for what I want to say at this conference, but somehow the writing isn't doing it. Um, and so I thought I would try uh, doing it through a podcast and maybe stimulate a discussion on the web um, in a, advance of the talk at the um, the uh, public media conference on Thursday. Um, for me, it's a it's a it's a pretty important event, um, and also something I do, you know, with some amount of trepidation, um, because the times that I've given this particular pitch, uh, it hasn't generally gone over very well. <laughs> I think people misunderstand what where I'm coming from, and so I'm I'm. But it's very important to me to to not have that happen, and because because I have something that I want to do, and um, and I don't want to get embroiled in an argument. What I want to do is do the thing that I'm pitching, <laughs> and um, so we'll see if uh, if I can figure out how to do that. The uh, and there's a story that goes with it. Um, because it's kind of like the story of the media changes that have been happening steadily for 20 or 30 years, um, at least in, that's been in my experience. Maybe it's been happening in other contexts and just I'm not aware of it or don't understand how it works in those other contexts. But um, but it's it has been happening and... Um, what it is, you can pick it up from so many different ways. Um, and most people, professional media people, when they pick it up, pick it up from the very personal point of view. It's, 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 uh, it reflects their concerns about their own personal role in the world, how the, their past will be interpreted probably, and maybe even more importantly, what is their future look like? And, um, and I think to really see where the opportunity lies, you have to try to look at it from a different point of view. And point of view is like everything in this. It's absolutely everything. And um, so I never look at it from the point of view of, well, where have I done it? The, the best example would be the media industry. Uh, excuse me, the, the record industry. Sorry, it's all the media industry. But the record industry in 2000. And I wasn't looking at it from the point of view of a record producer, uh, nor should I be looking at it from the point of view of a record producer because, well, I'm not a record producer. Uh, however, of course, if you want to talk to record producers, it certainly helps to understand their point of view. Um, but in this case, their point of view wasn't going to lead us to the place 
that we need to get to. And so I needed to stay very grounded and come at it from my point of view, which was that of a music fan, of somebody who gets a tremendous amount out of listening to music. So I thought I'd go to this conference, this music industry con I went to a series of them, actually. And most of them went pretty well. I don't think people really... They went pretty well in the sense that I didn't get attacked. I don't think really the people who understood what I was talking about were the people who were predisposed to understand what I was talking about. The other music fans, people who were like just absolutely tripping out over how incredibly great it was to have all this music available. And basically to be able to program your own music was the thrill of, uh, of 2000. It was the Napster experience. And, you know, the question was, does Napster lead to something wonderful? Well, here it is 2007, uh, seven years later almost, and we know that it did lead to something wonderful. Uh, I've got one sitting here on my desk. It's called an iPod. Uh, you know, <laughs> did it lead to something? Was it going to lead to something? Yeah. And will it lead to more places after this? Absolutely, without a doubt. Um, is it this, are we living in the same world that the music industry was rooted rooted in before this happened? Absolutely not. But that was the cusp of the sea change. You could have seen that change coming before that, but of course nobody would have talked about it before that. And then when it came time to talk about it, um, you know, we had to talk about it. It was the topic of the day. Uh, well, what the music industry wanted to talk about, for the most part, not all, because, like, I met Chuck D, the rapper, and, you know, we could, like, finish each other's sentences. It was wonderful, but, yeah, he was one in a million. I mean, then for every one of those, there were 15 others that were, like, digging in and saying, damn it, we're not going to do this. We're going to figure out how to protect our stuff so that we can keep selling it the way we have been selling it in the past and that's you know i understand that's what they want to talk about but it isn't exciting i mean that's not i would never go out of my way to go to a conference to talk about that that's just to me sorry that's not i know that it's important to them but and i hate to invalidate it but it's not important to me it's not it's not you know any more than in the 80s it was important to my customers, I ran a software company, I had lots of people working for me, payroll to meet every goddamn month, I had to make pay, every two weeks I had to make payroll, um, I was always living right on the precipice of going out of business, so I fully get that, I understand it, and my customers, well we put DRM, we called it copy protection, but same idea, onto our software, and these were really good people, I mean, my customers, people who used my product, were like really smart people. You had to be really smart to get it, to really understand why the product was so good. So I was blessed in that way that the people that used my product were good, also very good at communicating. They were good at explaining themselves. And there was never any question in my mind what, that they were coming from a good place and they were fed up and... They didn't, I got discs sent back to me, cut up discs, uh, and that really does get your attention when you respect your users, which I did in general, 
99% of them were wonderful people, and they were very upset, and I had to listen. I didn't like it, but eventually we had to take the copy protection off. And did it hurt our business? Well, who knows? We didn't have a business without it. Let's put it that way. I mean, we didn't have a business with copy protection. We could not have continued to go forward that way. So to the extent that we continued to have a business, and we did, uh, you know, was I happy about it? No, I wasn't happy about it. But I didn't. I couldn't get them to care about my reality. And, and also, honestly, everybody knew that the copy protection wasn't working. Uh, we could go deeply into this. Um, so I went to the music industry, and my thing was, I said, look, we got to put our heads together, and this is just so incredibly wonderful. Let's figure out how to make the music business and the fans, let's all go trip out on music. Because music has become incredible. Where it was just great before, actually it was kind of stagnating before, here's all this wonderful body of music, and now what I've always wanted to be was to be a DJ, and I mostly, I think, I don't know what it really... <laughs> I imagine DJs love being DJs because they get to program their own music. Well, now we all get to be our own DJs, and the people walking down the street listening to their iPod have their own soundtrack for their own life, programmed by them, and we all feel like movie stars when we're walking down the street because we've got the soundtrack, you know? I like to say, I was looking for the song, I couldn't find it, um... Well, I mean, I was looking for a video clip of, you know, John Travolta walking down the street in the opening scene of uh, Saturday Night Fever, and the song playing in the background is uh, Staying Alive. Let's see if I can find it. Okay, hold on. Oh, I'd have to here, plug in my iPod, right? Plug in the iPod, right? Because I know I probably have it on my iPod. So I just plugged in my iPod. See, this is the demo of what I was talking about. Um, so the iPod is booting up now. So it's sort of a booting up process. Right, there we go. And let's go for, click here. Oh, man. It's being slow. Oh, here we go. Okay. Let's just type in alive. Oh, didn't find it. Let's try here, alive. Here it is. Cool. Oh. Yeah, that's true. Here we go. Now, can, can you, uh, you know, there's John Travolta. Trucking down the street. He's looking cool. That's his soundtrack, man. Yeah, Disco Dave! <laughs> okay, you get the idea, right? There's my, I mean, it's, we're tripping out. Alright, so then, fast, fast forward to, it was 2005, I guess it was. And this was after the 2004 election. I'll just keep this playing in the background. 
And after the 2004 election, you can go back and read all the shit that I wrote and listen to the podcasts. And what was the takeaway message? The takeaway message was the red state guys, and I'm a blue state guy, right? Like, I like to live on the West Coast in California. I live in Berkeley, which is about as blue as you can get. And I lived over on the East Coast in Cambridge, Mass, and, and went to college grad school in Madison, Wisconsin. So you kind of get the idea that, okay, I'm a blue state guy. And the 2004 election, at least my takeaway from it was that, wow, we just got wrapped by the red state guys. And what they're saying is, you blue state guys just fly over us and you pretend that we don't exist and you don't listen to us and we care about certain things now you have to listen to us. You know, the 2000 election, that was a total mess, right? If you were a blue state guy, you could think, well, you know, they kind of stole the election. But in the 2004, all right, it was close, but it wasn't a stolen election. And the hype coming out of that was you guys need to listen to us. So I got offered a position to, to lead a discussion According to BloggerCon rules, very clearly understood, written up rules for discourse, I got offered the opportunity to lead a discussion in Nashville, Tennessee, which is pretty red, right? So I figure I'll go down there, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead a discussion. I'm going to say what I got to say, and then I'm going to listen to what they all got to say back. And it was a goddamn disaster. It was kind of like what I was trying to do with the music industry. Um, was to lead a discussion as a fan and say what I have to say and not hold anything back, be myself, and, you know, thinking that everybody, that if I were in the music industry, I would want to know what the users are so excited about. But they didn't want to know. And I went down there in Nashville, and to give them the benefit of the doubt, I'd have to say that they didn't want to know either, I think that there were some really mean, ugly, asshole-type people there. And, uh, well, there were, for sure. There were also some great people there. Um, different opinions. Didn't agree. You know, we could have had that discussion. I would have been happy to hear, you know, where we differ. But there were also a lot of people there who just wanted to make a mess. And they succeeded at making a mess. And... Uh, and, well, I, net, net is it failed. And I think that, you know, if they're, if, if, I'm sure that some of this is going to make it, make their way, make it back to those guys. And, you know, let's see if they have the, the um, maturity to just leave it at, it was a mess. You know, they have said some pretty horrible things about me personally, which obviously tells you they came there with a kind of different agenda. They weren't there trying to communicate across a divide, uh, which really was the stated purpose of the discussion. They came there with some other goal in mind, and it it was ugly. And I don't have huh, I don't have good feelings about Nashville as a result of it. Although I do have, know plenty of people now who live in Nashville who I think are great people, even though we don't agree on some important political issues. 
I would say we don't disagree on the basics, though. And so that's where I'm coming from. Now, when I go to public radio, by the way, I was living in a red state at the time that I came to the Nashville conference. I was really making a major commitment in my life to immerse myself in the, in, I had took that on as a mission. And I'd say that I succeeded in the mission in that, um, I learned something that I was pretty sure of to begin with, which is that there are, there is enough in common between blue state and red state people to say that we could work together. There are a lot of things, basic things that we agree on to be an American means we have some basic agreements on some very, very fundamental things and our differences can coexist within that framework. And so I'm optimistic. Uh, I think things may have to get pretty bad before we, we pull ourselves out. But I think that right now we're kind of going in the right direction. And so um, feels like 2000 did in the music industry much the same way today on a political level in our country. So before I bring it into the public media context, um, let's go back to 2003 and the lead up to the election and the Howard Dean campaign and blogging in the context of politics and citizen journalism and all the rest of two, you know, the two-way web um, and, uh, you know, all the things that I think are kind of being misunderstood right now. I think the wrong, I don't think we're going to get, well, let's put it, let's look at it, okay? The, all the candidates are using the internet now. The, that certainly happened. There was certainly a major change between the last election and this election in that at that time, it was sort of really fresh that, um, a campaign, the campaigns would use the tools of the blogosphere. Uh, well, in 2000, in the 2008 election, lead up to the 2008 election, there's nothing, no stone left unturned. I mean, Edwards came out the gate, he was meeting with the bloggers, he had Scoville on his airplane. Um, when he announced his candidacy, they've all been uploading their videos to YouTube, Flickr, they all have blogs, Barack Obama has a social network, you know, Okay, there's no stone left unturned in that. But is that the change that the new media is going to bring about? And emphatically, that is not the change that the new media is going to bring about. And Dean was not the revolution that so many people say that he was. Because Dean didn't change the fundamental nature of the way elections work. And if, if you're dispassionate about it, if you think about it from a dispassionate point standpoint, or be dispassionate in how you think about it, you realize that it, he used the internet to raise money that he could then spend in to buy ads that ran on the major TV networks. So it was a revolution in money raising, 
But that's not a revolution in politics. That's a revolution in money raising. And when the change comes about, and I have to say if the change comes about, because I'm not sure that it will, but I sort of hope that it will. I have bet my career on the assumption that it will. Um, it will be, I think, far more profound. And I think we need the new method in order to get past the difficulty that we're facing right now. And because it, now this is the hard, this is the hard part. This is where it gets hard because I'm not going to blame anybody. I don't want anybody that listens to this to feel that there's blame here because I don't know who to blame exactly. But we really, we really screwed up. And the screw up is we went into what has turned into a horribly expensive war, horribly expensive from a variety of different points of view. It's expensive in human life. It's expensive in the cost to our economy, which we will eventually feel. Um, and it's costly in terms of prestige of our country. You know, the people that talk about, well, we can't afford to lose uh, because where will that leave us in, in the context of the world? And, you know, my answer is, look, we've lost this thing already. I don't think we, there's a way to win it. I don't, if, you know, if you're going to have that discussion, then what we need to do is I need to ask you to tell me what winning is. And I think you need to be really careful to explain and to yourself first, if you believe that, if you believe we have to win this, then tell me what, or tell yourself or tell all of us, what does winning actually look like? Um, you hear people talk about the enemy in Iraq. Well, tell me about the enemy. Who is the enemy? I mean, that seems very closely related to the question of whether or not we can win the war or is it even a war? Or is it just a drain? Is it just a way to waste ourselves? You know, these were, had I said these things openly and publicly, sought out a public place to say these things in the run-up to the war, and that includes public radio in America, not only wouldn't have people have listened, but the subject would have changed. It would have been about me. We all felt that pressure. And this, everybody who had an inkling inside themselves that they wanted to say out loud, but decided not to say it out loud, knows what I'm talking about. We lost something of what we we as Americans should never, ever give up. And, and I think that, that we still don't really understand exactly what it is that we did give up. I listened to a, um, and this is why I'm optimistic about the public radio discussion. I've had a lot of people tell me as I've been writing about this leading up to this, that, you know, you're going to hit 
those same walls here that you hit everywhere else, that you hit inside the tech industry, that you hit when you went to Nashville, that you hit in going to the music industry, uh, that we hit when we went to the print media, print media and bloggers. I mean, you know, when the bloggers, to the extent that we did raise the alarms about the going to war, what came back was the issue of our legitimacy. Whether we were entitled to have this opinion or to express ourselves, we're still at war with the print media. We still have always got to justify ourselves. They, they ridicule us. They, they, they make it so that it, our, our professionalism is the wrong word, but um, for lack of a better word, our professionalism becomes the issue. Well, you know, you can't really make the general statements about blogging any more than one can make the general statements about, you know, print press. There's all levels of quality. There's all kinds of approaches to it. Um, I'm pretty careful about the points of view that I express on my blog. And, and I try to write very high quality stuff. And I think I'm intelligent and I've got a lot of experience. So when people talk to me, talk about my writing or talk about bloggers writing, as if we're all, you know, stupid, immature people. Um, well, I think that, that it's unfortunate that that's the discussion that we have to have. Because there's so much more important discussion that we need to talk about. We need to go back to the beginning and say, okay, what are our goals as a country? What are we trying to accomplish? What do we have in common? When we talk about national public radio, what is the nation? It's national, right? So it's our nation. Should it just be national public radio for left-wing blue state people? I don't think so. I think it's got a unique opportunity, and here we get to the point. I think that national public radio has an opportunity to do something very revolutionary at this stage, to become the place where we, the nation, discuss our future. Not moderated, not heavily moderated. And the reason why we can now use it where we couldn't before is that something that used to be very scarce is now in infinite supply. And that is, I think we need a term for this, but oh, I guess it's airtime is the term for it. It used to be that if you had, let's say we had X public radio stations in the United States. And of course, 24 hours every day. And that meant that we had X times 24 hours of air in our nation on public radio. But now that's no longer true because the number of public radio stations, I don't even know how to count them. I'm talking right now into a public medium and I'm using something that seems very much like radio. The end result is going to be the same technology that Fresh Air uses to create their podcasts and the same technology that On the Media uses 
the production values won't be the same. I'm not going to even, I'm not even going to do the slightest edit to this. It will go straight from my hard drive onto the server and be downloaded by anybody who wants to listen to it. So there will be a little bit of a difference. Well, is the quality of the thinking fundamentally different? I don't know. You be the judge of that. I find that um, more and more the way I approach these questions is pretty much the same way that a, sh a show like On the Media approaches it. I find that when uh, Brooke Gladstone is interviewing a reporter from the New York Times uh, in the last uh, installment of On the Media, the one that, that broadcast uh, yesterday, um, I find she presses him the way, exactly the way I would want him pressed and the way I would aspire to handle myself in an interview. I'm not sure at all that I could pull it off with the kind of um, restraint that she used, but yet with the forcefulness of the challenge. Yet I don't think the reporter understood the question that she was asking. It's that good. On the media has really is really that good. So, back to the question: Is this public radio, or what is this? So, I guess what I'm asking, and maybe now would be a good place if I were, if I were giving a speech at the conference. Well, I just talked for almost a half hour. Um, there was a little bit of music in there. I think I'd be almost at the point where I would say, this is kind of where I wanted to stop. Because I brought this question to this group of people because, well, and maybe that's a good thing. Why did, why this group? Because NPR has been remarkably, has, has remarkably embraced this new technology of podcasting. And, it's, it is remarkable. Remarkable is the right word. Um, it's worthy of, you know, being remarking <laughs> and congratulations and gratitude. I mean, um, radio has embraced this new technology through the embrace of NPR in so much better than the print media ever did. And I don't understand why, but I'm, Believe me, I'm not looking a gift horse in the mouth. My life is made so much richer for the fact that so much of what National Public Radio produces. And when I talk about NPR, I'm thinking the broad picture. I really don't, as a user, as a fan, um, I don't draw a distinction between PRI and Minnesota Public Radio and WNYC and WBUR WJCT is one, WAMU, KQED, uh, KCRW in Santa Monica. What a great station that is. Um, just to name a few. Uh, Diane Rehm, unbelievable. Uh, uh, as I mentioned on the media, incredible stuff. Uh, I get so much out of the news hour. Uh, um, this, I believe, I think is a prototype of the kind of programming that we should be working on together. There should be so much more of it. Um, 
And I think the role of the professional, radio professionals, is going to morph. It's going to change. But maybe I'm not the person who should, who should tell you about that. Because it could be so easily misunderstood as to appear to be my agenda. But it is not my agenda. My agenda is I want to have a new kind of election in the United States. One where the electorate sets goals first before we choose candidates. In other words, I don't want to simply choose candidates based on my belief in their sincerity or the quality of their personality or what they look like or what their message is or whether I really believe that they will appoint a Supreme Court justice who will turn down Roe v. Wade. These are all such superficial questions. I want to get us out of Iraq. And I think a lot of people, I know a lot of other people want to get us out of Iraq. We've arrived at a place where we have a, a shopping list item and so many of us will not vote in 2008 for somebody who will not make a commitment. But we also have to talk about how we're going to enforce our will on these people. I mean, uh, go back to the lead up to the 2000 election and realize that the current president said no nation building. And turns around and leads his, the whole story of his, can, of his incumbency is going to be about nation building. So I guess the question is, how can or do we want to work together to open up discourse in our country so that more people can participate and so we can understand our differences better and I think see that we are a country with common values that transcend our differences. And I think that's the opportunity that's in front of us and that's what I'm going to Boston uh, that's what I hope to talk about in Boston um, next week. So, there you have it. What song should I play on the way out? Um, how about this one? Oh, didn't work. Oh, boy. Um, I'm looking for... I'm trying to play... Don't Take Me Alive by Steely Dan. <laughs> but uh, I'm finding that all my links here are broken. Um, oh, I know. Let's try this. Hold on. Don't, don't go away. Um, this is an old favorite. Why isn't this coming up? Let's try this. Okay. And of course, I'm going to play this all the way through. Okay. Do 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 do. Still linger, I thank you, Mr. Moon. 
And although I'd never smile, winter, summer, autumn too, now here's one tune to remind me why I 